Welcome to Innisfil Accelerates, a podcast about the people and technology transforming one Ontario town. Today, we're talking about growth. There's something incredibly exciting about startups. New businesses are always so full of promise, and that's apparent when you meet the group of entrepreneurs in and around Innisfil. It's a diverse group of industries from technology and automation to agriculture and personal care. Some are bigger than others, but all of them collectively are really encouraging. They tell me that something is changing, but supporting this relatively new ecosystem requires real thought and planning. To ensure that there is the investment and guidance and mentorship, those things that are so critical for new businesses, there's been a new constellation of local organizations that have come together to offer really unique sets of supports. There's the Ryerson DMZ and Georgian College's Henry Burnick Entrepreneur Center and the Georgian Angel Network, amongst others. One of the people that has been a keystone in all of those groups I just mentioned is Chris Adams. Chris has been successfully creating and managing companies for over two decades now, and recently he started to reach back and help up the next generation of small business people. And at the time when small businesses are struggling as never before, that help is in high demand. It's really interesting. Since the start of the pandemic, I've met with probably hundreds of small business owners uh, in terms of mentorship. And at first it was pure panic. Like last year, if this was uh, in March of last year, it was, it was pure panic. What are we going to do? I have this rent. A lot of things were about expenses and not a lot around like the questions were, how do I minimize my expenses? Not a lot around the thinking or creative thinking around how do I maximize revenue or how do I figure new business models out? That didn't come around until the summertime when people really started thinking, okay, well, if this thing's going to last longer, it's not going to last two or three months like it was sort of said to be. This is a lot longer. I now need to figure this out or I'm going to be really in trouble. So what they did was uh, secured grants, secured some bank loans, uh, potentially uh, filled out applications for some wage subsidy programs, like the things that, you know, a good, good Band-Aid like things that the government was uh, providing small businesses, which was wonderful. And everybody should have taken advantage of that. Uh, the really good companies really started asking the tougher questions. How do I digitally transform the organization? Uh, if it was purely retail, um, you know, questions would have been, you know, I have a point of sale system, but it's kind of analog. Uh, I don't really have an inventory control. Uh, how do I match my inventory control to my online site? If I even had an online site, how do I get all that going, get my banking done? And then finally, you know, how do I deliver this stuff? Do I do pickup? Do I actually have local deliveries? Uh, you know, do I put my stuff into Amazon and use uh, Fulfilled by Amazon? And so a lot of questioning going on. The interesting perspective I have, if you were thinking digitally, transforming your organization pre-COVID, you did really well because you were already on the road and you already knew that you had to be online or be part of the social media network uh, and figuring out different ways of advertising or you know, getting closer to your customers, expanding your customers outside of your typical retail zone. 
And what we've seen is uh, if companies didn't do that, it took them a lot longer to get there. And if you haven't yet in a year, if within a year and you haven't done a lot of digital transformation or you haven't figured out what you're going to do digitally, I think it's, you're, you're probably not in a good situation because you may have said, hey, I'm just going to hold off until this whole pandemic's done. But I feel like what's not occurring or what's occurring is there's a complete revolution of people's thinking now. So even post-pandemic, you're going to see that buyer behavior is going to change. And this is interesting. In 12 months, we've done maybe a decade's worth of change. We could already see, I think, those of us that were looking ahead to the digital economy where things were going. But we thought it'd take a decade or 15 years to get there. Like, for example, everyone working remotely, for example. The technology was there, but there was just sort of this inertia of us all coming into to offices and this sort of mindset. It was still, if it hadn't been for the pandemic, years away from organizations shifting to uh, being able to work remotely. But it just happened all at once. <laughs> and like you said, um, with those that were looking to get away from retail, from brick and mortar, we could all see that the Amazon model was where it was going to go. But Again, it just happened so quickly in 12 months, what might have otherwise taken a decade or 15 years. It's been kind of jarring, I'm sure, for many companies are trying to adjust to that new reality. I completely agree. And if we're even looking beyond retail uh, in our conversation today, we kind of look at like, you know, the small and mid-sized just office sort of B2B or white collar kind of uh, could be law firms or whatever they could be. Mm-hmm. People are working from home right now. They're doing it successfully. Uh, they're using Zoom. You know, we might see sort of a mixed mode potentially. Uh, so hypothetically speaking, in the past, we may have said, oh my God, I got to go from 60 people to 100 people. I got to get a new office space. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you uh, open it up a little bit and have working pods and we, you agree to have certain teams on certain days be in the office for your group meetings and uh, you allow flexibility of people working from home and in the office, uh, depending upon who they are and how they've proven themselves. And so you might not have to get that larger sort of commercial uh, space that you were sort of financing or thinking about putting in on your expense sheet. So it's uh, that, could, that could change. And I was also talking to other individuals that, you know, salespeople, you know, they, you know, we used to fly to New York just for an hour meeting, you know, to try to close a deal and, right. you, and you would have wasted a day or two, I wouldn't say wasted, but you would have put in a day or two days of travel to do that one meeting to get there and do it where it's generally accepted now that, Hey, a zoom call is okay. Uh, a year ago, you may still have had to do that flight. Mm-hmm to meet that person because it was generally accepted that you always did a business deal in person upon the first sort of few meetings. Um, and with now, a handshake and seal yeah. it with a handshake. Another thing that's seen the going the way of the dinosaurs. Yeah. And so now you've got uh, a lot of corporations now, instead of these signing contracts, you have, you know, DocuSigns arriving in your inbox and uh, lawyers were able to do these things and think about medicine now too. Uh, and how you're potentially talking to your doctor, uh, you might not actually have to physically go in uh, to wait for two hours to meet with that individual. You know, maybe it's just some text messaging and maybe a meeting online. Well, to that point about how things have shifted so rapidly, you know, when, when we first got into this thing back last March of 2020, 
there was lots of talk about which industries were going to suffer, which ones were going to potentially benefit. And some of that has come true, but others have not. Like, for example, you look at the housing industry, you know, did anybody think that this was going to happen to the housing industry over the last year and the real estate market? It's just gone kind of haywire and no one called that. And I just wonder with you and your relationships with businesses in and around uh, Barry and Innisfil, have you been surprised about some some businesses that succeeded that you didn't think were going to, and perhaps others that are struggling that you you hadn't anticipated? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, talk about housing just for a minute. Uh, I, I think this is a huge opportunity for Innisfil, and and you know, with them positioning Ryerson DMZ and positioning you know to support the creative economy, and if you're going to start a company, uh, and if you're a young person, you know, do you really want to potentially? buy or rent well first of all buying is probably almost impossible in downtown toronto uh, but it could be a reality in in innisfil and in reality uh one could be physically getting on a go train and being at a meeting in downtown toronto but you know with the sort of post pandemic how you know is that going to really be a matter or something that you're going to believe in uh maybe you can just uh, use zoom and be in innisfil and and run your creative economy company and I think tier two, I guess if you want to call it that, like a community, uh, they're kicking way above their 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 weight. If you want to use a boxing analogy, they're they're doing it in the right manner. They're investing in the right things, uh, and they're supporting the economy. So I, I really, uh, it's kudos to to Innisfil for for you know I would even think that this business model has accelerated uh, the Ryerson DMZ. Uh, in a small relationship. Uh, getting to your question about like winners and I wouldn't call them losers, but um, you know, there's a lot of retail. Like if you look at Shopify, obviously, um, wow, like in Lightspeed, uh, you can see that on the retail side of things, just by looking at those stock prices, you can see that retailers really reached out and adopted that technology, as you said. Like they went in a year, they probably get a, both of those companies probably did a decade of sales in one year in mm. terms of that change management. You remove that friction. Typically it's friction or uneasiness, or it could be laziness. Like if you're doing a million a year and you didn't really have to think about doing the million in a year as a, as a business person, uh, maybe you didn't want to change. Maybe you just wanted to go golfing or, or you just, you know, things were okay. But now with the pandemic, you actually had to sit down and make decisions and adopt some digital technology. And potentially that may have uh, accelerated you from a million to 2 million in sales because you actually were able to go outside your normal scope of business or you've retooled your business model uh, to adapt to this new world. Or if you've held your ground, it's potential that your revenue might may have been eroded uh, you may not be down for the rest of the count, but uh, I would think that more than likely there's going to be some interesting business decisions. You know, do you close up shop? Do you sell it? Do you uh, figure out how to digitally enhance your organization? Do you invest in that? And that sometimes is time and energy. And, and in most cases, it's not about the money. It's more about the, uh, the attention to detail and the time. Uh, to put in to make that transformation, you know, great. 
That segues nicely into my next question about the kind of supports uh, that you offer um, and that are available out there with things like uh, the Georgian Angel Network, DMZ Innisfil, Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center. You know, you've got 20 years of working with uh, and having your own companies and doing the startup thing. Like what drew you to trying to help others through this process? It's not always a transition that people uh, do. Um, it's a painful enough process to do it on your own, let alone can involve with other people that are going through the same. But what, what drew you to that? Why, why are you so passionate about trying to help new up and coming startups? It's a great, it's a great question. It was really uh, having some great discussions with leaders uh, at the Georgian Angel Network uh, when uh, my last company, uh, it was uh, G-Shift Labs, and uh, it was grown to about 35, 40 people. I was looking for a new sort of uh, route to take without starting something myself. And so it was suggested that maybe uh, there was you know, room at the, uh, the Innovation Center, at the Henry Burnick Entrepreneurship Center at Georgian College. Uh, and also at uh, Ryerson DMZ uh, in Innisfil, and to apply my thinking and uh, learnings from those previous startup experiences and apply them to uh, the organizations that need support now. And when I started these companies, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't, uh, mm-hmm. I think maybe even G-Ship might have been the first pitch at the Georgian Angel Network way back when. And so cycle up to today, there is a lot of education. There's a lot of programming uh, between Henry Burnick Center at Georgian College and also Ryerson DMC uh, in Innisfil. The, the amount of attention that one can get if you're a startup is amazing. And all you have to do is raise your hand. All you have to do is uh, ask for help and support and mentorship. And there's a lot there uh, in our community. And it's not just those two organizations. You know, there's the Sandbox in downtown Barrie. Uh, there are sort of private-like uh, companies that provide that support. And we, you know, as, as time goes on, we're seeing, you know, law firms and uh, large accounting firms starting to provide free education uh, to their clients, small business clients as well, too. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing when you're coming up, you're uh, wanting to start your own business. There's a certain personality that goes along with it. Not, not all are the same, but you know, it's very um, goal for goal focused, very kind of a type personality to use that uh, rubric. And it's hard for those sorts of people to kind of reach out and ask for help, especially if they're struggling in that process. Um, can you talk a little bit about how personality plays into success? Mm-hmm of startups and why that kind of mindset is a thing that gets thrown around a lot these days, but there is some truth in it, isn't there? Can you talk a little bit about what is the the right mindset to ensure success going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think it can be learned. I don't don't know if it has to be completely innate and that you have to have it and bring it all to the table on day one. I think it can be uh, groomed and learned over, over a period of time. That's why I think mentorship is such a, a good thing, even if you weren't part of HBEC or, or DMZ and in, in Innisfil, find a, a really good like business leader in town to support you or mentor you. And I urge you to listen, be coachable, uh, talk about the, the difficult things, open up uh, and be open. And, and hopefully that relationship will develop. Uh, obviously all of that can be confidential. And I would think that most business owners would want to impart knowledge and logic and understanding to the younger generation that is uh, starting uh, these companies, because we all want our community to be successful. Uh, we want Simcoe County to be you know, a rocket ship when it comes to the world stage. 
Uh, we want our children uh, and our neighbors to have great jobs and, and, and salaries. Um, I, I think that most business owners would be open to a form of mentorship if you just simply asked them for a coffee uh, and wanted to learn more. I've been taking some time to talk with various businesses and startups um, in and around Simcoe County. And, you know, for listeners, you can check back in this feed to, to listen to some of those conversations with some really incredible entrepreneurs. And that's what I wanted to talk about next here is about Simcoe County. Um, what you're seeing in terms of the startup community there, you mentioned when you started 20 years ago, it kind of felt like you were the only guy in the game. That's changing though now, isn't it? Um, it's kind of remarkable that the breadth uh, and depth of companies that uh, are starting up around and, and, and gives you a lot of hope for you know future economic development for the area. But that's just my kind of view as kind of an outsider looking in. What's your sense of it right now about where it is and, and where you think it can go uh, over the next, let's say, 20 years. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're even, you know, like we're at the tip of the iceberg here in terms mm. of uh, startups and, and Simcoe County. And I, I think it's just, just beginning. Uh, how does that, where is it all coming from? Like it can be a startup could be an individual in their early 20s wanting to do something and doing some sort of e-commerce uh, like uh, piece online. Or it could be, what, what we're also seeing as well uh, on, the, on the opposite side is we have these manufacturing organizations in, in the Simcoe County area that, you know, been operating for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And they're now becoming entrepreneurs. They're, they're, they're you know, like Steve at, uh, and his team at Automotive uh, or Innovative Automation, uh, they've launched this thing called RoboTape. Uh, their team has put it together. They're going on the world stage. They've created IP, trademarking, uh, a new product. And they're pushing it out like a startup. Mm. And it's really cool to see. And so now you're creating this extra value or energy uh, in the community based on that. So there's an opposite of just, hey, there's an early 20s person starting something. Here's people that are doing things on the flip side. Uh, and spurring out or, or spawning new companies within other companies, which is interesting to see too. And I urge uh, you know younger people to think about that. How how if you have a business idea, maybe it could be done with an existing company. You don't always have to go out on your own. Maybe you can think of a joint venture or some sort of partnership with a, an organization that already exists, and then you already have one client. You know, on day one versus trying to uh, believe you're going to have a client by investing money into something for a whole year and then potentially finding out that maybe there isn't a fit in the market or maybe there's somebody else that has already done what you're doing. Yeah. So tempering that irrational exuberance is, must be really hard. When, when, you, when you're working as a mentor and people come to you and are asking for help to start their business, like what do you like to focus on first and foremost with them when you're trying to guide them on their, on their next steps? Um, because again, I'm sure sometimes you get people that come in with this great idea, but maybe it's not a great business idea. <laughs> and that's going to yeah. be a, a tough thing to deal with. You know, like from my perspective, I've uh, been labeled sometimes an internal optimist. Uh, so <laughs> if, you, if you came uh, and, and met with me uh, on day one, first of all, I would respect that for you've taken time out of your life. You've you've want to be coached. You want to be advised. It's probably a lot of effort that you've taken and you might be nervous. Uh, you might be questioning your own logic around starting the business or the business model or the product. And so there's a lot of nervousness ar ar around this. So 
Uh, when I begin, I ask just a lot of questions. Uh, and within those questions, uh, it's really about driving you around, you know, what is your product? What's your minimum viable product? Uh, what do you truly need to, uh, you know, what's your 100,000 foot view or what would be your magic wand situation on where that would go? Uh, and then start to look at what's the competition doing, you know, what uh, you would need in terms of finance to, to move it forward. Do you need any partners like co-founders that are technically inclined, you know, and out of all those questions, we start seeing risk. We start seeing opportunity. We can see weaknesses or strengths uh, in the whole thing. And potentially either A, we've narrowed down the scope a bit more and we now have a direction for them. Uh, we've narrowed it down to, hey, maybe this isn't perfect. Maybe we need to pivot just a little bit and rethink it. Uh, maybe this is absolutely stunning and we need to get you in front of the Georgian Angel Network as soon as possible because we need to prep you for that so that you you can be ready to speak uh, and, and be confident in front of a group of people to raise money. And so I think there's stages there. But again, uh, we approach things uh, with optimism and enthusiasm for the people that are coming. And then ultimately, we look to help you understand by you going through that journey and making those decisions. Is there enough capital investment in that sector, be it from the federal government, the province, venture capital? I mean, you mentioned the, the angel network. I mean, have you come across any businesses or startups that have a great idea, but just can't access funding and take it to the next level? I'm just curious where that, how big that pool of money is right now. Well, there's, there is money uh, in, in the marketplace. Uh, it's sometimes hard, you know, hard to get. I think there is a social network to sort of go through. So typically one would start with uh, getting money from their grandmother or their mother that loves them really well, or their best friend or their family or their own personal savings. And the trick really there is to not spend too much of that. You need to really like prove really quickly that you're getting the right signals from the market. And there's something valuable there from that point. There are grants, there's bank loans. Uh, the next steps are potentially the angel network uh, in terms of uh, other investors. And then ultimately sales. Sales is your number one friend. Uh, if you're selling, you're making a margin and that margin can be reinvested back into the organization. Sometimes uh, if you're doing software sales, for example, you could still be a consultant and you could be billing out and solving people's problems in the same area where you're trying to create some software. And then while you're billing out, you could be reinvesting that, that money back into the product development itself. And that's one way of also uh, doing that. If you're trying to compare us to Silicon Valley or Boston or New York and things, you know, it's like a 10 to one ratio. Like Canadians were very underfunded as a, as a, there's lots of, discussions at the angel network about this at the federal level, the provincial level of Ontario, how do we spur more innovation? How do we pour more money into innovation? And there's, you know, as you can see the Trudeau uh, kind of government has put a lot of money recently into uh, innovation and patenting uh, and really trying to push that uh, so that we can be, you know, leaders at the world stage. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or what it is that we are have been so focused on being a primary economy for so many centuries that this kind of more entrepreneurial tech thing is just not, it's taken a while for it to kind of sink in, at least at a policy level, that this is the next stage of the Canadian economy. I mean, sure, we're going to still keep uh, pulling stuff out of the ground and, and chopping trees down, but um, if we're going to change into... Um, uh, a, a more advanced economy. We've got to really focus on this next stage. And it's, it just seems sometimes like with policymakers, not to make fun of the, the older generation, they, they haven't quite wrapped their head around it. It seems to me, I mean, you mentioned the federal uh, government's recent budget really trying to change that, but just in general, it just seems like it's a, it's a bit of a fight to try and get policymakers to recognize that this is where we need to go. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Like if you, I completely agree with you there. So let's go with an analogy, you know, uh, we fish off of Newfoundland and uh, we catch cod, we, uh, we clean it, we freeze it, we ship it down to Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone packs it into a, a cardboard box that says Captain Highliner on it. It's got great branding. Uh, it then gets put on a skid and it gets sent back up to the local yeah. grocery store in Newfoundland at a 300% markup. Yeah. And so when you look at Canada, we're great primary uh, resource producers. Uh, but we're not great at secondary or tertiary value add uh, to to the, the the product, and so we need to really change that. And, and so I think you know in the Barrie, Simcoe County, and especially Innisfil area, if you think like Beatty's is a great example of someone that over like changed changed the direction. So they were a farming family and you know they did potatoes and so if you sold a bag of potatoes you know to Zares or you know Ontario Foodland or something like that you know you made a you know a, a small percentage let's say less than five percent maybe or something like that and you had to do large volume etc mm-hmm. and we're sort of capped at your you know how much you could potentially make on your farm but all of a sudden they thought okay well how about we create a brand how about we create like uh and let's let's invest in our own distillery and let's make vodka and let's get this, you know, boutique like vodka out into the world stage and the market. And we can make 300%, you know, margin on that same potato instead of selling it just for 3%, let's say. So you've changed magnitude of value on that farm or into that family. And so I'd love to see innovation, government attention, uh, our own attention, uh, as investors or people starting companies on how do we create brands that will produce great value that we can export, uh, not just to the United States, but everywhere in the world and create better jobs and better salaries uh, in our region. And I urge people to start thinking in that way. I just want to wrap this conversation up by asking about your current role as entrepreneur in residence at DMZ Innisfil. Can you talk a little bit about what that role entails and what you're hoping to make of it? Yeah, a lot of the companies that I'm uh, coaching and mentoring are all software-based, uh, so they're definitely uh, looking to export or grow their 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 software, and you know have companies outside of our region use it, and or outside of Canada. That's primarily the uh, the program is really run high tech or and or software uh, at that program. If you were sort of food-based, we already have a bit of a product. Uh, they may have a little bit of funding and we really want to jumpstart, accelerate uh, and push them very fast and very hard. So you have to be kind of like in that mental state. You have to be ready for that. And it's intense. 
Chris, I appreciate you making time for me. Thank you. You can learn more about how to connect with Chris Adams by clicking the link in the show description for this episode. There you'll find bonus content and access to our exclusive weekly newsletter. Innisfil Accelerates is a program sponsored by the town of Innisfil. You can learn more about how they can help support your great business idea at innisfilaccelerates.ca.